He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And before we get started, I have to tell you guys, go subscribe to the podcast. It is Live Tulsa Week, and you are not going to want to miss all of our great content we're putting out throughout the week. We're going to do our Wells Fargo recap today. And then once we hit Wednesday, guys, we are going to be up in Tulsa Wednesday through Sunday with tons of great content. So hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. It's called the follow button, and it will just give you a notification when we drop new episodes. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out. So fellas, let's dive into the Wells Fargo elevated event. Wyndham Clark wins the golf tournament by four shots over Xander Shoffley, Harris English, Terrell Hatton tied for third. And to round out your top five, you had Tommy Fleetwood and Adam Scott at 11 under. Fellas, I got to be honest. I have loved the designated or elevated events, however you want to say it, throughout the year. I feel like this was really the first elevated event that kind of fell flat to me. And and it was one of those tournaments, guys, where I thought that Xander had the opportunity to really make this a golf tournament and put some pressure on Wyndham Clark. I thought Xander at one point, after seven holes, Xander had a one-shot lead. Remember that Wyndham Clark bogeyed the first hole and then parred two through seven when Xander, he birdied number three and then birdied number seven. Birdied number three to tie the lead and then birdied number seven to take a one-shot lead, guys. And then Xander Shoffley lost his driver. Yesterday, guys, on the radio show, I said that Xander was the best bet of the day at plus 150, even went up to like 165, you know, that morning live bet. But guys, I mean, Xander Shoffley lost his driver on the back nine. Xander missed right on 10 and then left on 11 and 12, and these drives weren't even close, and that was the key part of the round to me, T-Dub, because... You had the opportunity to really put pressure on a guy who had never been in that situation, but instead you're in jail yourself, and then all of a sudden you put yourself behind the eight ball. This was a classic Xander Shoffley round, and this is the reason, T-Dub, where I think that we can't put Xander in that elite group, obviously not the elite group with John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. I don't even think you can put Xander Shoffley in that 1B group with Rory and Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa. You go on down the list of some guys that I think are in that 1B group, but Xander sometimes proves that he just has no dog in him. If you were going to try to dominate that golf tournament and win that golf tournament, you got to put the ball in the fairway on those key holes, especially going up against the Wyndham Clarks of the world. By the way, clutch play from Wyndham Clark on that back nine. But my point is I felt like 
with Xander putting himself in jail on holes like 10 and 11 and 12, he allowed Wyndham Clark to settle into that round. And when Wyndham Clark settled into the round, then he birdies 10, he birdies 12, he birdies 14, and birdies 15. It was one of those situations, T-Dub, where I felt like with Xander screwing up off the tee, it allowed Wyndham Clark to get comfortable, and that's why we got the blowout victory from Wyndham Clark. By the way, Wyndham Clark played his college golf at Oklahoma State, then transferred to Oregon, but has said in the past that when he thinks of his college experience, he thinks of Oklahoma State. So we'll count this as an Oklahoma State victory on the PGA Tour. Very, very happy for Wyndham Clark. But this was a shocker to me coming down the stretch, and it shouldn't have been, T-Dub. We've seen this from Xander in the past. I just thought he was different. Yeah, that's, a, that's a quite a lot to unpack there, Sam, but I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to unravel this. Um, so, yeah, going back to Shoffley, I mean, I completely agree just because after seven, he had the one-shot lead, as you alluded to, birdied uh, number the par five, which is number seven, and then Clark was able to par. But then Clark gets in there and birdies number eight, the uh, drivable par four, and then Shoffley comes back and bogeys nine and 11 after that, and then the par five tenth as well. Clark was able to birdie and Shoffley was not. So, yeah, it was definitely in that middle stretch of the round, which we had also talked about on the radio show, where that was going to be an area that, that really determined this tournament because that was where kind of the volatility and some of the holes came in, as we saw that in the final group. And, I mean, yes, Wyndham Clark went out there, and he did play some really good golf, especially in the middle stretch we alluded to. From 8 through 15, he was 5 under par. So, I mean, that's very solid golf, and that's the stuff you need to do to win tournaments, especially your first tournament. And they confirmed it. Jim Nance did that he had not won a tournament since the Pac-12 championships back in, what, 2017. So, I mean, that's a long time, Woody, to go without winning a tournament. He showed that he didn't – it seemed like he had been there for quite a while because he hit – some really, really good shots down down the stretch in particular. Hit, hit a couple of drives here or there that, that weren't on point, but Shoffley's drives made even Clark's bad drives look good. And Clark did get some good breaks bouncing off of the trees and things like that over the tournament. But uh, but I don't know. Even as good as Clark played Woody, I look more at Shoffley and think, how could he not go out there and supposed to be a, a top-five player in the game and play a little bit better than that? Because that middle stretch of golf was, was not very good, and it seemed like the only time that he played good was, was on 14 and 15, where essentially he knew that he wasn't going to win a tournament. I think when you look back at that, when we look at Clark, he's been through a lot. You know, his mom died of cancer, and he, he's fought his temper, guys. He he has really struggled with the fact that he had a bad temper, and he'll admit it. On a situation like we saw, though, Xander Shoffley is the kind of player, at least we thought, that would have kept his foot on the pedal and probably would have won that golf tournament. If it had been Scotty Scheffler, let's say, or John Rahm, I'm not they would have not won the golf tournament but we do have to give Wyndham credit he, he man he played that stretch like you said he made five birdies there and uh, every time Shoffley kind of made something that was going to look good then he backs it with a bogey and gives an opening I think what really changed that golf tournament though guys is the green mile we know how hard 16, 17, 18 are but they're not as hard when you've got a three or four shot lead and when and they were Wyndham playing downwind, that, Woody, they were playing yeah, downwind. I mean, yeah. those holes where we thought they'd make it a tournament, he had such a lead, guys. It's not that hard to get through those holes with four shot leads. So I, I still say congratulations, Clark. You know, I picked him at Valspar, and y'all laughed at me because I picked somebody that I'd already picked, and I got called out for it like I always do. But I know this kid's been playing good. He's been playing some really good golf here of late. So. 
Um, we always say, if it's your time, it's your time. Well, it was his time, and good for him that he won an elevated event. Do you guys realize the biggest check he'd ever made on the PGA Tour up to them was this year at Phoenix, where he made 485000 Oh, that was for a 10th place about, finish. Yeah. 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 You talk about making a leap. So, again, I'm a little disappointed in Xander, but I've never been that high on Xander Shopley. I, I mean, he's a great player, but is he in that category where you were saying earlier with the Roms and the Shepherd? I don't think so. And I don't know that he will be. So, you know, great job, Wyndham Clark. I'm proud of him for getting that first victory. And, and it could lead to a lot more because you all know once you break it, it's like Scheffler. Once he broke through, you never know what Wyndham Clark could be. So let's watch and see. I got to give it up to my man, Matt Mabry. We were texting during the round yesterday, and he said that Wyndham is going to win this golf tournament by five or six shots. And I said, there's no way. Xander Shoffley is one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour. But guys, I forgot that Xander was going to turn into the same guy that hit the wall of wind a couple of years ago at Augusta National. It just seems like this tournament was one of those, T-Dub. And number one, I do want to give credit, like Woody said, to Wyndham Clark because he did play really clutch golf on that back nine. And, and like Woody said, he's been playing the best golf of his career Tied for 24th in Mexico, finished solo third with Bo Hostler at the Zurich Classic, the team event down in New Orleans. He finished 29th at the RBC, and before that, he finished 6th at Punta Cana and 5th at the Valspar. So he's on an absolute heater right now, and the putter is definitely hot. Had one of his best putting weeks all year. But guys, it just seemed like when Xander Shoffley got that lead, right before the back nine, something changed. He was driving the ball exceptionally well, even on that front nine. And guys, I mean, he gained over a shot on the field each of the first three rounds off the tee, and then all of a sudden completely lost his driver on the back nine. That has to be mental. It just does. And and Xander's one of those guys, T-Dub, where I was – planning on saving him to pick him at L.A. Country Club this year. We've had the argument, who's the best player without a major? I've said it, Xander Shoffley. But he just proves time and time again that he has no dog in him coming down the stretch. I don't know. Maybe this is recency bias after what I watched yesterday. But Xander also hasn't missed a cut since the Masters two years ago, two Masters ago. And it just seems like he doesn't put himself in contention enough. And then when he does put himself in contention, he doesn't win as much as he should. I don't know. Maybe it's me being too high on Xander. I think that he is one of the most talented players in the world, T-Dub. And maybe it's just one of those situations where, yes, he is talented. But at the same time, he just isn't one of those guys that's going to go out there and win every single time he should, like a Rom or a Scheffler, or a, you know, even like a Justin Thomas has that dog in him. I haven't seen that from Xander, and this was just another example of that. Well, he has been playing so – you look at the results on paper, and he's, he's – last how many ever terms? Last five terms, he's gone second, fourth, fourth, tenth, fifth. And then even before that, 19th, 39th, and then 10th, 13th, 3rd in there. So, I mean, he's having, when you just look at, especially when you look at the bank account, he's having a very tremendous year. And this tournament moves him up to number three in the uh, data, in the analytic rankings. So that's, I mean, he's ahead of guys like Cantlay, Fee now, uh, he's even ahead of Rory now. I mean, we talked about the big three, where it was three months ago, Rory's dropped all the way down to sixth in the analytics. And, and just to put it into perspective, 
this win moved Wyndham Clark up to number ten in, in this in the analytic rankings ahead of guys like Max Homa, Jordan Speed, Colin Morikawa, Cam Young, Jason Day, Victor Hovland. So I mean, I mean, we we talk about Wyndham Clark all oh, He's been playing pretty good. Now he's been playing top ten golf in, in the world at this point. And his last what nine events, eight events, he's gained shots on the greens and he's gained shots approach as well, except for uh, one tournament down at the Zurich. So. I mean, Woody, whenever you combine that much ball speed in there with that, it's going to make Wyndham Clark such a threat. But I, I would have put all my money on if you would have said after the seventh hole someone's going to win this tournament by four shots. There's no chance I would have put it on Clark. I would have put it on Shoffley because I agree with Sam. I, I do not see the dog in him, and, and I've been waiting to see him go out and kind of take the bull by the horns in a sense, have that great – what was it, uh, four-month stretch or three-month stretch last year where he won three tournaments in a row. He won the Genesis, the Travelers, and the Team Championship with Cantlay. But uh, just uh, you expect him to just go out and win more. And I know winning is hard out there, and Shoffley's proven it because he has all the tools, but for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to beat it down. You would have thought that he would have been able to go out and look Wyndham Clark in the eye and say, hey, I'm going to go out and win this tournament on what is one of the elite golf courses as well. He had experience there in the President's Cup and played there how many ever times. It's just uh, I was pretty shocked with, with how his swing broke down, too. It looked like the club getting a little laid off, and he was really rushing with his legs a little bit. So it was pretty unique to see a world-class player like that have a visible swing altercation happen during the round. His golf swing did change once he got the lead, but that's not the first time we've seen his golf change when he gets the lead. But I kind of like what Sam says. I don't see the dog in him. I don't see a guy that closes. I don't see a guy that wants to cut your heart out and, and really stomp on it. You know what? Who knows what's going on between those ears? We don't, we don't know, but we know it is not good because he is not a finisher. He, he can't finish a golf tournament very well. So will that change? I don't know. There's so much talent there, gentlemen. Who knows? This could change overnight. All of a sudden, he could become a winner, but it just it's not showing it right now. However, when you look at how Wyndham played that back nine, he did have pretty good moxie there. He stared Xander right in the eye, and instead of Xander putting it on him, he put it on Xander. So you, you always wonder, what's the difference in the guy that can finish a golf tournament? What's the difference in the guy that can't? A lot of times it's experience, but in this case, it didn't show that way because who had the least experience? Wyndham. And yet he's the one that went and put the pedal down and finished it off. So I think what we're seeing as much as anything, guys, is just the golf in general has changed so much in the last two years. We've lost some players that went to live. We're starting to see up-and-coming guys that are, are what I call friends that could jump to that next level and Wyndham Clark's one of them so you know I I look at a Rory and what all he said before the week starts I, you know he's gone down in my eyes about being the world-class player he wins but he doesn't win the big ones like he used to so I don't know maybe there's too much competition out there there's too much money and winning, maybe these guys just don't think about that as much as they used to. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. I, I watched that this weekend, guys, and I don't understand how Xander Shoffley, as good as he is, could let that golf tournament get away. Yeah, I mean, we watched Scotty Scheffler in a similar situation in Phoenix. 
he got the job done. We've seen John Rahm get the job done six times so far this year around the world. It, it's just some guys have that in them to when they have that opportunity to win a golf tournament, they know that they're the best player in the field that week in their own mind and go out there and get the job done. Um, one thing about mental toughness that I want to talk about, and Woody alluded to it, was that Wyndham Clark, and I've seen it firsthand, fellas, back in college, he was a hothead. I, I don't think that he would disagree with us on that or disagree with me on that. And he was rock solid on that back nine. And yes, Xander was in jail, so it did allow Wyndham Clark to not hit many drivers on that back nine. The one driver that he did hit smoked a tree and kicked left to give him an angle. Now it went into the bunker, but it still allowed him, you know, a shot towards the green. But he was able to kind of hit irons and three woods around that back nine and still win the golf tournament by four shots. So that was a, a help to Wyndham. But at the same time, when Wyndham lost the lead, you didn't see that fire and that kind of bad attitude that we used to see out of Wyndham Clark, especially in college. He's really grown as a golfer and clearly has put a lot of work and effort into controlling his emotions on the golf course, T-Dub. I think that's the main reason why he won this golf tournament, and that's a huge testament because that may be harder than any swing change or putting change or anything like that to control your emotions when you're known to be a little bit of a hothead. I, I know firsthand because I was one back in the day, T-Dub. I completely agree. I, I I still am a little bit to this day. I mean, but and at the same time, you're you're exactly right in the sense of if you're able to to be able to realize that that is something that's holding you back. I mean, we make fun of Terrell Hatton all the time, and maybe it actually makes Hatton better. I don't know, but I, I'm going to assume that there are times where it lingers onto the next shot because, in my opinion, that's how. I mean, we've seen Tiger Woods. Um, I mean, we haven't seen him really break a club, but we've seen him throw clubs and we've seen him cuss and all that, but it never seemed like it translated onto the next shot. And that's the, the really the big thing. And, and, and Clark showed yesterday that level of maturity, something that you don't see, you wouldn't have seen him probably do two or three years ago, in my opinion, or, or definitely not back in college. But, and you look at how he did yesterday as well. He actually did lose a few shots off of the tee, but he did gain over a full shot uh, putting. He gained almost a full shot around the greens and gained almost two shots approach. So everything except for a few loose drives here or there, was exceptionally spot on for Clark, especially that uh, that putt that he made on 15 for birdie because he had to hit it in the bunker, he had to lay up, and then he was able to hit hit that wet shot. And he hit two great wet shots on 14 and 15, give him credit, because those are some situations where the adrenaline could start pumping and you could hit those five or six yards too far. And if you did that on what would have been 14, you would have gone into the water. And then that putt on 15, even the announcers, and I thought the same thing, I'm like, he's taking forever to hit this putt. I'm like, there's no way he's going to make it because that's the rule of thumb. If you take think wrong, think wrong is usually what happens. But no, he buried it right in the center of the heart, and it was a dead weight speed on a downhill putt. So, I mean, it was, it definitely looked like the Wyndham Clark was the veteran Woody. But the, the crazy thing, too, is that we're talking about how much against Shoffling, we talk about how his swing kind of broke down. He, he still actually gained shots. Uh, he gained almost a full shot off of the tee and gained uh, a half a shot approach because, with the exception of that middle part of the round, he swung it really well. But his putter is really what let him down, Woody. Yesterday, he lost almost a shot and a half on the greens, which is someone Shoffley has been putting pretty well uh, the last few weeks and not lost strokes gain on the greens going all the way back to the Tour Championship last year. So, I mean, to, to see his putter also break down, too, is another example of just kind of not having that dog in him, at least in my opinion. He said, he did say, he said he lost that golf tournament with his putter, and he might have, but he, he also lost it with that driver. 
you know, touching on that one thing about the, the attitudes and how much that changes, I think all golfers reach a point in their life where they know how to handle adversity. And it looks like Wyndham's doing that now. It looks like he's finally gotten his emotions under control, which makes a huge difference. But if I was going to play with anybody or not want to play with anybody, I got to go back and beat up that Terrell Hatton. I, I got so tired of watching that whiny baby. Good. Gosh, gee, many Christmas. Does he ever hit a shot where he doesn't whine? Did you see that? Like, I, I maybe I just don't. Every know. shot, Woody. Every it single one. Every, every, every it was one. even more noticeable this week because I had another PGA Tour player text me and say, could you imagine having to play with Terrell Hatton right now? Gee, many Christmas. He, he is just, oh, I, I don't even want to watch. It, it, when he'd come on, I literally would turn away. I didn't want to watch it. I just didn't want to watch because I knew after every shot, he was going to go into this full wine. And if they ever mic him, I will no longer watch the PGA Tour. Even if he says <laughs> it I want to be It would be entertaining. <laughs> no, it would be so entertaining. It would not. You'd want to throw up. To <laughs> think you get to play golf for a living and you want to whine like that? Oh, geez. I'm glad he's not on the list. Because I would go up because I'd say, you are the biggest baby I have ever watched in my life. Get a life. If the putt does not go in the hole, Woody, he's complaining. The ball has to literally Every fall shot. into the cup. Every shot. It didn't matter what shot he hit. It was like, no, uh, 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 uh. oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't golf with the dude. Oh, no. man, that that was, be- that was a beautiful there. rant. Sorry, that was a beautiful rant, rant there, Woody, on Terrell Hatton. By the way, Terrell Hatton does finish tied for third at 12 under, but did lose almost a full shot on the greens and almost a full shot off the tee yesterday and, and really was in good position to finish tied for second or third solo, but then hit it in the water on 18. Guys, did you he see? He not the- only hit it in the water on 18. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, he, hit it, he hit it somewhere. I don't know. Is it South Carolina that way or the ocean? <laughs> that ball was so far left. That was a joke. For a world-class player to hit one that far offline. <laughs> I was glad it hit that slope and went in the water because I thought, well, he did it so far left, he'll have a shot. But thank goodness it hit the hill and went in the water. <laughs> and then he whined about that like it was a bad break. What? <laughs> you hit it somewhere south of, uh, I don't know where it was. It was horrible. Oh, Whine. man. back. It's a big wine bag. <laughs> that is beautiful. So he does end up tied for third at 12 under with Harris English. And so, guys, I, I think that that's a little bit of a good sign, at least for the Ryder Cup coming up. I don't know if Harris English is even going to have a Ryder Cup spot this year, T-Dub. I'd have to look at the point standings, but obviously was on that great team uh, last time. And, and was that the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup where Harris English was just making putt after putt, it seemed like? That was Harris- one straight, Sam. That's when you picked the Europeans. You don't remember? That's Yeah, <laughs> that's why I, I, I've blocked that from my memory, T-Dub. And you should. You should block that from your memory. Uh, Harris English, fellas, starting to play a little bit better golf after going through quite the slump to start the year. But he was hurt. Sam, wasn't he hurt? 
I yeah, think he, he did have an injury. He did have an injury because he yeah. missed he yeah. missed three straight cuts from the American Express to the Phoenix Open, missed the cut at the Honda and the players. Um, but it seems like since the players championship, he's starting to, you know, figure something out. He's gone, you know, thirty first, forty third, sixty third, but then now tied for thirteenth and then tied for third. Um, so it does seem like Harris English is getting his game back together a little bit. That's good news for Harris English fans, Georgia fans, Team USA fans. Um, and then speaking of the Ryder Cup, Tommy Fleetwood finishes top five at 11 under along with Adam Scott. Adam Scott uh, continues, fellas, to play really solid golf on Thursday and Friday, and then turns out on the weekend, it just, it's the same Adam Scott through the last 25 events, T-Dub, he just, he's made every single cut, but hasn't finished, you know, I think this might be his best finish out of all those, out of all those tournaments, but he hasn't missed a cut, it. he just never contends because he doesn't play well on the weekends, out of the top 10, he played the worst round on Sunday, shot even par uh, for the round, and then Tommy Fleetwood, Fellow shoots one under and uh, really got off to a bad start. Bogey three and six, but then played bogey free three under par, you know, from seven to 18 to finish in the top five. Any thoughts on Harris English, Fleetwood, or, or uh, Adam Scott? Well, Adam Scott's a, a curious case because, it, yes, his fifth place finish yesterday was by far his best. His next best finish in 2023 was T21 at the Sony Open. And so he has not been pretty crazy. He had made every cut he played on the PGA Tour, which I believe was, I believe, eight or nine tournaments. And he wasn't even, and he's still not in the top 100 of the FedEx Cup rankings. I mean, that's just absolutely absurd. You would have thought he'd be at least top 70. But what's curious about it, too, is that the. You would think though how beautiful his swing is. You think his iron play would be the last thing that that's holding him back. But there's only been uh, two tournaments since uh, the Genesis in February where he's gained shots approach, and there's been a few weeks where his iron play has just been absolutely atrocious. So maybe he can get that figure out. Still is gaining shots off the tee majority of the time, and the last three tournaments he's gained shots on the greens as well. He's actually five of his last six he's gained on the green. So, I mean, you wouldn't say this about Adam Scott Woody very often, but if he can get his damn swing figured out, he might just be able to start contending a little bit more, even more so than he did yesterday. You know, he even said that it's just not much fun playing anymore, finishing in the middle of the pack all the time. And and he says, I'm, I feel like I'm playing pretty good golf, but yet his analytics will tell you he's, he's not playing all that good at golf. So, you know, Ryder Cup is still a ways away. We, we, well, we got four months, a little over four months. But Zach Johnson's going to have some tough decisions, gentlemen, I think. I think he's going to have some tough decisions. Now, I noticed there at uh, Wells Fargo, he had a group of those guys that are pretty much a lock. So they were all having a little get-together and sitting around shooting the breeze. So he's got a pretty good idea. But he's going to have, what does he get, six? Doesn't he get six picks now? So yeah, six with, picks, yeah. Yeah, with and, and, and Woody, there will be another spot open because uh, Zalatoris is hurt. He's currently eighth That's in the ranking, true. so th- there'll be even yeah. more picks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't want that job because if you look, you see the past history of Harris English. I know he was hurt, but if Harris English keeps playing as good as he did this week, guys, and he gets back up there and maybe wins one, I got to go with him. I got to go with him simply what he did at Whistling Straight. Then you've got all these up-and-coming guys that are, are young and aggressive. You know, I'd look at a Ricky Fowler, believe it or not. I'd watch what he does over the next three months. If he keeps improving and showing what he's capable of, 
Ricky Fowler was a really good rider and President's Cup player, guys. He, he was a great teammate is what he was. So that's going to be really fun to watch how that unfolds, to be honest with you, because even though the Europeans are showing a little bit better play out of Fleetwood and some of those other guys, they're not as good as we are. Now, it's in Europe, so that'll be a whole other game. But we look really strong, and our guys are getting better and better every week, I think. I'll say one thing. If Ricky Fowler makes it over a guy like Brooks Kepka, I think it's an absolute joke. Uh, I mean, well. just based on how these guys are playing. Um, but I'm with you. I, I do think that Ricky would be a good teammate uh, and a good guy to put on that team. Another guy that wasn't on the Ryder Cup team last time it was held was Max Homa. And Max Homa is starting to play a little bit better golf after he got off to the hot start T-Dub at the start of the year and then kind of entered a little bit of a slump but ends up finishing nine under for the golf tournament tied for eighth. That's a really solid finish. I'm, I'm glad to see Max Homa on a course that he likes go out there and shoot nine under par on a tough golf course. Now, I know that Wyndham Clark was playing a completely different course, shot 19 under for the tournament, but nine under out at Quail Hollow is really solid playing. I really think I'm going to look at Max Homa either to win at Oak Hill or win at LA Country Club because I think both courses really suit his game nicely. I'm looking at LA Country Club for sure because he is a California king. I don't think there's really much doubt about that. I mean, potentially maybe Oak Hill. I will say his by far his highest finish in a major was last year at Southern Hills at the PGA where he finished 13th. Before that, his best finish was a 40th. So his second best finish in a major is 40th. So, I mean, I think that I mean, as great as a player as Max Homa is, and I do like his chances at LA Country Club a lot, I mean, when your second best finish in the major is that bad, I mean, let's just cool the brakes a little bit and let's wait it out, even as talented as he is, because you look at it too, guys, the last three out of his last five weeks, he's lost strokes gained approach, which is something that back before he had not lost strokes gained going all the way back to the BMW Championship last year in August. So, I mean, no, I think that he does have a little bit of work to do. And going back to Woody's point about the, the Ryder Cup, I went here and I looked at the rankings right now. So you have, I think you have some guys that are some locks. You have Scheffler, Homa, Cam Young, Jordan Spieth, Sam Burns, Cantlay are your top six. So if it stayed right there, they'd automatically get on the team. But then you have like Morikawa, I mentioned Zalatoris was hurt. Then you have JT, Shoffley, and then Phenom's out at 12. So I think those are 12 guys or 10 guys right there that you for sure are. So you got two other picks. So then Next on the rankings, you have, like, Kurt Kitayama. I'm not sure if – I mean, I think he would be a fairly solid choice, but definitely not someone you look at to uh, – I would definitely think Kepka would be a lot better choice than that. Then you have, like, Chris Kirk, Sahithi Gala, who I picked this week. He finished almost GFL after making the cut. Tom Hoagie, Keegan Bradley. So, And then, uh, likes of our man Taylor Moore down there in 17th, I think he would be a great pick. Uh, what do you think get his thing going on? So, I think, to your point, I think 10 of the – unless someone gets hurt again like Zalatoris – you have 10 picks that are almost secure and you're going to have two picks that are locked up and in all honesty could very potentially go to at least one live player. And then we haven't even mentioned Dustin Johnson isn't playing his best, but we know how well he did last Ryder Cup. At that little get together, I saw some pictures of it. Finau was there and so was Justin Thomas. So, you know, I'm kind of like you. I think, I think Zach has some ideas already in his mind of what he thinks will be the best players for that. So we'll, we'll just wait to see, but if you really look at the fact that he said that he would maybe he'd at least consider live guys, that they weren't out, automatically out, which I'm still glad to hear they even think of that. Because if if I'm him watching PG play the last few weeks, uh, you know, I don't care what golf course you're on when you're shooting 62-62s and winning back-to-back golf tournaments. That's pretty impressive, gentlemen. I mean, that's, 
that's getting out there and doing it right, okay? Uh, let alone what Kepka did at the Masters and how much his history of playing good in those events are. So that's going to be so much fun over this next four months, guys, to watch how this all unfolds. I think right now I'm kind of like you on Homa. I, I don't – Max, he's got to play some majors good before I pick him in one. Now, that's pretty bold what you said, Sam, either Oak Hill or L.A. Country Club. It could happen. But I'd sure like to see him do better than what he's done in the past in majors before I go out on that limb. And then, I mean, obviously guys like a Justin Thomas played pretty well this week, but the putter still hindering Justin Thomas a little bit. It was the weakest part of his game this week. I mean, I guess you could say around the greens, but it was really the short game as a whole uh, still kind of hindering Justin Thomas. Um, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Oh, oh. There, there he is. There's Rory McIlroy, tied for 47th this week at the Wells Fargo. Lost shots on the greens this week. Lost shots with the irons this week. Lost shots with the driver this week. Um, T-Dub, what is happening to Rory McIlroy right now? I'm honestly even shocked. And I'm, I'm. people have listened to this show. They know that I'm not the highest person in the history of the world on Rory McIlroy. But... I honestly was not expecting this out of Rory McIlroy in the middle of, you know, peak golf season when these guys are really getting ready to gear up for major season after Augusta National when you have one major per month coming up and Rory's game looks worse than it has in a couple of years. Well, yeah, he, what's crazy about it, too, is not too long ago, he's playing great golf. I mean, in January, and, and he won the Tour Championship last year, had a great, uh, essentially, well, been fall, won the CJ Cup. In October, and yeah, he's just he's falling off of a cliff. I mean, we talked uh, last uh, last week about his mental health stuff that he's going on, and maybe that's the case. I mean, because he looks absolutely lost out there. I remember watched a decent amount of him this week in the first and second round, and I mean, the, what was crazy about it too is that he played the par five so bad in the first. He bogeyed two par fives on Friday, and he bogeyed one of them on uh, on Thursday. Bogeyed seven both days. I mean, he just could not find that fairway to save his life. He actually did get kind of a bad break on Thursday. He hit the rocks. Should have ball should have went in the water, and it hits the rocks on the inside of the creek and bounces out of bounds. So he has to go back and re tee. But at the same time, you really don't see Roy play the par fives as bad as he did this week and last two weeks in particular. Going back to the Masters, his iron play has been. Absolutely horrible. He's lost uh, at least ha- he lost half a shot this week and lost uh, oh, almost a shot and a half at Augusta approach. So the one shining light with Rory is that he did gain a full shot around the greens, which is something that the Masters and in particular the Players Championship really held him back. So that's uh, that's a little bit of shining light, but the rest of his game is not very good whatsoever. And, and Sam brought up JT. One thing I noticed, and they kept talking about, was how he's he's using a variation of aim point now, and this is the first tournament that he actually gained shots. He didn't gain very much, but he at least gained some on the greens uh, putting because the last uh, four weeks he had lost a very substantial amount, Woody. So, uh, I mean, maybe just trying to get in a little bit of uh, confidence in your read and kind of having something else to you know verify that the read that you picked is good. Maybe JT can start playing some good golf and potentially defend his title PGA in a couple of weeks. His putting still scares me. I mean, he missed one on, little one on nine, 18. So, till he putts better, I'm out on JT right now, too. So, and Rory, I already told you what I think of Rory when he pulled this mental health issue deal. I'm, he's so far down on my list, I don't even want to talk about him, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, fellas, I do want to wrap up Quail Hollow by talking about the actual golf course. I love Quail Hollow. Now, 
like what he said, a little bit of the teeth were taken out of the green mile just because of the wind direction and, you know, kind of how the golf tournament shaped up with the, the huge lead that Wyndham Clark had. But at the same time, it's just one of the more immaculate courses you'll watch. You, you can tell that a course is big time when it, on TV, it just looks absolutely perfect, right? And it has that overseed. And like Jim Nance said, he said, out of all the places we go to, this place reminds me of Augusta National more than any other place. That is high marks coming from a guy like Jim Nance, T-Dub. And I think that even though the golf tournament itself fell flat, Quail Hollow definitely did not. Oh, if it, if it wasn't for the golf course, this tournament would have been a lot worse than it was. I mean, if this if this event had transpired at, let's say, TBC Scottsdale, I mean, it would have been a, a lot less entertaining, to say the least, because, I mean, we talked about this on the radio show. I mean, I, I would need to go through it and look at every single course to figure out where it particularly would rank, but kind of an odd number. But you look at the last seven holes of this golf course, and I think they might be some of the best last seven holes of, of any course in the world. I mean, probably Augusta is obviously higher than that, but it's, I would put it in the top five uh, final seven hole stretches because 12 that's extremely narrow par four good par three and 13 drivable par four 14 par five 15 then obviously the green mile coming in so it's it, it's why at the president's cup it was such a crime to change the whole layout i mean it truly was and it's one of the reasons why along with the lip players not getting in why that tournament was i it ended up being halfway entertaining at the end but it was kind of a joke essentially the whole week so but no woody quill hollow is one of the best golf courses in the country and probably one of the best golf courses in the world in general. And it's not just the way it's manicured, it's the whole designs too, because, uh, I mean, it's very, it's designed very, very good, especially on the last few holes. And, uh, it's something that it, this is one of those tournaments to where we talk about the elevated events. Well, they're going to have to mix and match the, the tournaments. You can't have it be an elevated event every year and some tournaments can't not be elevated, uh, some years. So no, I think this is one of those ones where it should probably be elevated every single year just because of how great the course is. You did so good on that right then because I had some dirt being dropped at my house and they dropped it. I was able to pay them and they're gone. I can still answer your question. Uh, <laughs> Not efficiency, baby. Bay, bay, you guys are so good. Sometimes I just feel blessed to get to work with you all. Uh, Quail Hollow. I would love to get to play Quail Hollow because that, that golf course is flawless, is it not? I mean, it just looks so good all the time, no matter what they host there, whether it's that President's Cup or uh, the tournament week in, week out. Although I'm still like T-Dub. I hated that they turned those nines around in that President's Cup. I still think that was a travesty, but that's another story. But Quail Hollow is going to be there for a lot of years, gentlemen. And and obviously the PGA Tour loves them. So it's going to be fun to watch that unfold, isn't it? Because that is one of those kinds of deals. What will Quail Hollow get over the years? Uh, You guys are young enough to see it. I can't imagine that they won't get major after major there at some point. Yeah, it definitely should. It's my favorite course to watch on TV on the PGA Tour just as far as regular tour events. Um, One quick point about that, Woody Woody brought up majors. It is going to be the host of the 2025 PGA Championship, so it's kind of already been slotted there, Woody. There you go. Well, there you go. There you go. Now, now the PGA is funny because, you know, that new course they opened down there in Frisco, you can bet we're going to push majors towards that Frisco golf course over and over and over as far as PGAs go. And whether it be seniors, the regular PGA Tour, whatever it might be, they're going to probably load that place up down there. Yeah, and you would think that Southern Hills would get another one after such a great tournament they have with the playoff with Willie Z and, and JT as well. I would hope. Good Lord, if they don't, that, that'd really be a travesty if you cut out because it's hard for them to get an open. You know, the USGA hadn't been to Southern Hills in a long time. So 
if they cut the PGA out of Southern Hills, also that that would really be. I'd hate that for our state and for Southern Hills. Yeah, it'll have. I don't to think be, that's going to happen. No, but it would. It is a little worrisome knowing that they're definitely going to go to Frisco, and that's pretty close to Oklahoma. But hopefully, you know, they spread them out and hopefully get another PGA out at Southern Hills. Fellas, we got to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. After the break, we need to get into some college golf. And obviously, we're going to be spending all week up at Live Tulsa. So we need to do a little bit of a preview for the regionals coming up. And one of the regionals is going to be at Jimmy Austin, May 15th, through the 17th so definitely get out there and see that it's absolutely free and go support the Sooners or go watch Ludwig Aberg play some golf he will be at that regional we'll dive into it after the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf the 73rd hole podcast Join the hype. Live Golf is coming to Tulsa at Cedar Ridge Country Club, May 12th through the 14th. See the top players who include DJ, Taylor Gooch, Bill Mickelson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau battling it out. This is high stakes golf with a whole new vibe and a whole new energy. Rally your squad now and see the big names with big swings compete in this new global league. Tickets are selling fast. Get yours now at livegolf.com. That's L livegolf.com Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we're back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you are not going to Golf Oklahoma to get all of your golf news and you live in the state of Oklahoma or the surrounding areas, you are missing out because they are doing great coverage, not only on high school golf state championships coming up, they're doing great coverage on NCAA regionals into the national championship with OU and OSU and all the big 12 schools. And then obviously Live Tulsa is coming up this week and you are not going to want to miss any of the great content Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford are putting out up in Tulsa golfoklahoma.org guys let's dive into the NCAA regionals and I want to start with Auburn University Clubs Regional which is in Auburn Alabama hosted by the Auburn Tigers you got Vanderbilt, who is the top team in the country. You have Tennessee, Auburn, Colorado State, Ohio State. You have Washington. You have TCU, who finished second in the Big 12 Championship at Prairie Dunes. 
you have some other schools there, but the, I would say it's probably a seven-horse race at this Auburn Regional T-Dub. Do you agree with me? Yes, I, I do tend to agree with you there. And, uh, you know, Sam, we did we did a great job breaking this down on the uh, the WWLS Sports Animal Radio Show, and we, we podcasted that yesterday. So we can, if you're really into college golf, which I know a lot of our listeners are, we broke it down even more on that show. So feel free to go and listen to our last show. But, no, I agree. I do think it is pretty much a seven-horse race. One of those regionals where I think it is it's a pretty difficult regional, to say the least. I think some of the later regionals that we'll get to are a little bit weaker, especially a little bit top-heavy comparatively to what this one is. I don't think it's necessarily the hardest regional, but, but I, I definitely think there is uh, – I, I think Sam's right, though, Woody. I think it is pretty much a seven-horse race, and um, I, I would be shocked if any of those top three teams in particular weren't able to make it through. Yeah, you look at Vanderbilt. Uh, I still think they're the favorite in that regional, but you never know what could happen in one golf tournament. Things are funny. If you look at all these regionals, really, guys, the, the ones we think are supposed to move forward I think there's a pretty good chance they will. I mean, it would probably take some catastrophic type of thing for some of these guys that we know are supposed to be at Greyhawk for something really crazy to go wrong for them not to make it. And and what T-Dub said, I listened to a little bit of your broadcast on Sunday, and, I mean, you guys cover that as good as anybody anywhere. Um, it, it is so fun to listen to y'all because of that knowledge you put out there. So, you all you all got this regional thing figured out. I, I think you're spot on with almost every one of them that you put out there. We hope that OU will win theirs, and but I like to think Vanderbilt will win this one. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, obviously in regionals, if people don't know, there's – 13 teams fighting for five spots 30 teams will go on to the national championship then they'll play stroke play in the national championship they'll crown the individual national champion and then we'll head into match play like we see every year on tv but in this region you have Vanderbilt so it's basically 12 other teams fighting for four spots TW you know what I mean and so I think it's going to be a little bit more competitive of a regional just because you have Vanderbilt in that region and you know that they're going to get through with Gordon Sargent and the great play that they've had all year, number one ranked team in the country. So I don't know, T-Dub, do you think that it's a good thing to go to a regional where you know a team is going to get through and then maybe some weaker teams? Or would you rather have a region like OU um, – I don't know. You would want to be OU at Jimmy Austin, but OU also has probably the strongest region. OU at Jimmy Austin. We'll just dive into that real quick. OU at Jimmy Austin has to deal with Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the top-seeded team in the Norman Regional. Then you have OU who just beat Texas Tech uh, and everybody in the Big 12 Championship at Prairie Dunes. Um, Then you have Alabama, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, Duke, LSU, North Florida, Colorado, Kansas. I mean, those teams are all able to make the top five, although – you would have to say that probably Texas Tech makes it through because of Love the Gayberg, and you probably say that OU makes it through because it's their home course. So then you have Bama, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, Duke, LSU, North Florida all fighting for three spots. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have – you have six teams at this regional who are all ranked in the top 25 according to Golf Week. So, you're going to have someone that's left on the cutting room floor. And, yeah, I expect Texas Tech to be able to make it through whenever you have uh, – either him or Gordon Sargent's the best player uh, in college golf right now. And I would probably take Aberg, especially with what we saw up at Prairie Dunes. But, yeah, someone's going to get left out of that, Woody. And just going back to your question, it's a, it's a interesting one about which region would you rather play at because – I feel like the best scenario would be uh, – I'm trying to pull up exactly what regional it is. It's a UNLV regional, where, which we'll talk about here in just a second, where it, it, UNLV did not make it in as a team because, like, for example, the Michigan State regional, Michigan State's in is like a nine seed. The Clemson regional, it's, just, it's the same thing. So those teams on their home course could be able to go out and steal a spot from one of those teams in the top five. But at the same time, Woody, you really don't want to be in the same regional as Vanderbilt because, like I said, it does give you one less shot to win because you're not going to beat that team. So it is an interesting question, but question. But luckily for OU, I mean, obviously I don't think they would, even with how they're playing, they still would, would be able to get through on, I think, any regional. But with that, with, when you have six teams in the top 25, one of them going to be left out, it's a good thing to be playing on your home course for sure. Oh, I think so. I, I, I think that's really – when I was looking at who was going to what regional, I thought the same thing you guys thought. I thought, well, you know, I, I, I feel really confident in Hibble's team. But that that makes you play, and I think that's also a good thing. I'm not sure you want to be on cruise control at one of these regionals or think you're on cruise control like Vanderbilt might be, not that they would ever not make it. But you tend to kind of just go through the motions, and sometimes you get caught with your pants down when you do that. So. I think it's cool because I think what we got here is OU will be focused, just like what Hibble told us on the broadcast. I tried to talk to him and talk about Greyhawk. He had no part of me. He blew me off so quick. So they're focused. They know what they got to do. I'm not worried about OU. I'd like them to win, just keep their season going where they're building towards that, that national championship. I'll tell you this. I think it would be a disappointment if they don't win just based on how they've been playing recently and then playing on their home course. They just beat Texas Tech in the Big 12 championship, and it was mainly because of Texas Tech's four and five bags, guys. I mean, they didn't get anything out of their four and five bags, and OU was extremely consistent all week. Um, on my opinion, in my opinion, a tougher golf course in Prairie Dunes, and then obviously it's even more accentuated in the fact that they're going to Jimmy Austin that is their home course. The young guys will probably continue to play pretty well considering they're very familiar with Jimmy Austin. I think anything other than a win is a disappointment to me in that region for the Sooners. As far as the Cowboys go, fellas, they're going to Las Vegas and they're playing Bears best Las Vegas, uh, hosted by UNLV, as T-Dub said. Arizona State is the top seed in that region. Stanford, the Pac-12 champion, is the second seed in that region. Then you have Virginia, Oklahoma State, Northwestern, East Tennessee State, Cincinnati, San Francisco, UNC Greensboro. Definitely a weaker region, but at the same time, Oklahoma State, T-Dub, has played up and down golf throughout the year after losing, obviously, Chikara to live and then Brian Stark to the Texas Longhorns in the middle of the season through the transfer portal. But you got to think that Arizona State, a top-five team in the country, makes it through. you got to think that Stanford, the Pac-12 champion, makes it through. But at the same time, I feel like, like you said, there's no UNLV in this tournament to come up and steal a spot. Um, 
there's really no Texas Tech or Vanderbilt or Oklahoma in this golf tournament. To me, T-Dub, this is one of the better draws that Oklahoma State could have gotten as a four seed. Probably the best draw that Oklahoma State could have gotten as a four seed. Now they just have to get solid play from their bottom three guys. I know what I'm going to get from Jonas Baumgartner. I know what I'm going to get from Rasmus Neergaard peterson when he's healthy, and I think he is healthy. Um, they got to get some good play from a guy like Bo Jen or a guy like Leo Oyo. They, those guys have to play some better golf and, and consistent golf for them to make it through this region, but I like their chances to finish in the top five of this tournament just based on the draw that they got, T-Dub. I think that if for some reason they would have gone to OU's region, we might be talking about a whole different story, but the fact that they're going to Las Vegas, I like their chances. I think they should finish in the top five. Absolutely, they should. This is by far the the best draw I know they could have got because I mentioned earlier, OU has six teams in the top 25. This region only has four of them. The, The fifth best team in this regional is East Tennessee State is 29th. So, yes, very, very lucky draw for that aspect. And, and as we alluded to earlier, no UNLV to kind of come up and, and swipe a seed, as we may see in some of the later regionals. There is an individual from UNLV playing, but the team was not good enough to make it in. So, Woody, that being your alma mater, I mean, you, you got to think this is a pretty good draw for your Cowboys. It couldn't have been a better draw. When I saw that, I thought, well, these guys that are doing these regionals, and we know OSU's not what they normally are this year, but there's still that name. And if, if I wanted a great NCAA tournament, I still want Oklahoma State in the field. And then if they get there and can find a way to get the match play, good for them. But you still want them in the field. So when I saw that regional and where they went, I thought, okay, that, that, that's great. Because I, I'm like you guys, I would be shocked if we don't get through that regional and get on to the NCAA. I really would. I, I, I know they haven't played as good as they can play. They took a beating early on with their, the guys that left them. But I think they'll be there at Greyhawk, and that's all I could ask for. The other thing about the Las Vegas regional is my Kansas City Kangaroos are the 13 seed in this region, fellas. I would love to see it happen, and obviously we had J.W. Vandenborn, my former head coach, on the podcast last week after the Ruse won the Summit League Championship, but it's going to be really, really tough considering the fact that, guys, I mean, they haven't played great golf all year, but then they got some weather at, at the Summit League Championship in Nebraska, and they were able to kind of battle the conditions. Unfortunately, they're going to Las Vegas where – I think the conditions are going to be primo, but I hope that Josh Robards goes out there and wins the tournament individually and somehow the Kangaroos jump up and get a spot. But they're a little bit behind the eight ball, T-Dub, unfortunately. Yeah, luckily they they were able to get in with that clutch uh, summit conference win, and anything can happen. I mean, there's an abundance amount of golf to be played. So, I mean, they, they could definitely find some way to get through. I mean, I mean, Woody, if there was any mascot that I feel like could, could come from an underdog role and, and potentially <laughs> even just win a national championship, it has to be the Kangaroos, right? Well, I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't get to go to Norman. I, I'm happy where they went, too, Sam. Just what you said. There's, if there's a regional they could sneak in, that could be the one. It's but, probably the uh, best draw they could have gotten. I think it was, and but I was really looking forward to seeing the kangaroo. I, I just, uh, you know, but I'll have to see it at a par. I'll, uh, I'll be pulling 
you know, I've got two teams now. I really care about. Well, I got I care about OU and OSU both. But I and now I've got the Kangaroos on my my radar, and I worry what the Kangaroos are doing. So I'm pulling for them. Fellas, let's go to the Clemson Regional in Salem, South Carolina. You got North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, with which is my pick to win the national championship before the season. Now, ah, I don't know. Their four and five bags have not been playing very good golf so far in the spring, but obviously Dylan Minetti and Austin Greaser and David Ford, those guys are going to go out there and I think you know, propel North Carolina to at least finishing in the top five and getting themselves into the national championship. But this is a really tough region, fellas. You got Georgia Tech, who won the ACC. You got Texas A&M, who has Sam Bennett, who obviously we saw at the Masters. You have San Diego State. They won the Mountain West Conference. You have Georgia Southern. Um, you have Arkansas. You have Purdue. You have New Mexico. And then right there, that nine spot, you have Clemson playing on their home course, guys. And I think that that's a big deal when it comes down to these regionals. One little thing to look out for, just like T-Dub said, a nine seed could jump up there and get in that top five and steal a spot because they are so familiar with the golf course. We see it week in, week out in the regular season of college golf that the home team, the team that's hosting the event, normally either contends or wins the golf tournament regardless of how good the team is or how highly ranked the team is just because in golf more than any other sport you have a bigger home course advantage but I like North Carolina to win this one guys but I do feel like this is going to be the most competitive region considering you got teams like Arkansas and Purdue and like I said Clemson all outside of the top five as far as the seeds go headed into the tournament. Yeah, this, this is definitely a formidable regional. There's zero doubt about that. I still think North Carolina and Georgia Tech, A&M, the top three seeds, I feel like something would have to go pretty ca- catastrophically wrong for them not to be able to make it through. But but then the remaining two seeds are definitely up for grabs. you got uh, an Arkansas down there at the sixth who definitely, we know all the talent that they haven't produced over the last time many every year. So, I mean, they could definitely come out. And then I got a feeling that, that Clemson's going to do it, too, at the ninth seed playing on the home course. I, I think that is a, just a massive advantage, as Sam was alluding to, Woody. So, uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is – I think the top three seeds are probably secure, but any I feel like any team in all honesty between that four and definitely and the, probably the, the 10 mark, maybe even one of the lower seeds, could potentially make their way through. This is that regional where I, I thought Sam had a good point about North Carolina was, came out of the box this year so strong. And, and so I think this is a big regional because this regional tells me, are they getting their game ready for June? Uh, that's why I'm more worried. If I want to watch this regional, not because I'm worried about who the five would be. I want to see what the top team's doing, and they haven't shown like they did early on. So, uh, at this point, I probably wouldn't pick them at the NCAA's. But let's see what they do this week. No doubt about it. Let's go to Bath, Michigan, where Michigan State is hosting that regional at Eagle Eye Golf Club. You got. Mike Smalls, Illinois, fighting Illini. You got Florida. Uh, So, by the way, Illinois won the Big Ten. Florida won the SEC. So, you got the Big Ten and the SEC champions in this region. Then you have Texas in this region. You have Oregon in this region. And then you have Kansas State as the five seed. I almost think, T-Dub, this region, you got the top four are almost set. And then it's basically Kansas State, Georgia, 
Liberty, San Diego State, uh, Arkansas, Little Rock, Michigan State, by the way, playing on their home course, uh, Wisconsin and Illinois State and Purdue, Fort Wayne. I, I think that those, you know, the five through 13 seeds of this region are almost fighting for one spot, T-Dub. I think that this could be an amazing tournament to watch just as far as that bubble goes. This is, in my opinion, the toughest regional out of all of them. And it just breaks my heart to see Texas get thrown in there. I mean, I would just absolutely love to see maybe one of those other teams, as you said. But <laughs> Michigan State down at the 10 seed, come and knock them out. I mean, that would just be absolutely beautiful. But I feel like you're probably pretty right. Those top four teams are probably pretty set. All of them ranked in the top 21 of the country. So something would have to go uh, pretty drastically wrong there. Kansas State is the 26th team, so they are they are the better team out of the Georgia's down, I believe, 37th. So maybe maybe Woody, maybe Michigan could come on their home course and get it done. But um, I, I think that uh, Sam's probably right in the top four are probably pretty set with one spot to go. But uh, this is the toughest regional, at least on paper. And Woody, Kansas State, like T-Dub just mentioned, what are they ranked in the country right now? 26th. 26th in the country. So, and by 27th, the way... 27th, I apologize. 27th. 27th. So... Either way, my point is, at Prairie Dunes, they didn't finish in the top five. They were way down the leaderboard at Prairie Dunes. What would you do as a coach to kind of get these guys back in form leading into regionals, knowing that you're playing in a really tough regional and you got to play your best golf just to get to the national championship after having a great season? But unfortunately, like we talked about with OU peaking at the right time, Kansas State's bottoming out at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, and as a coach, you can only do so much. Uh, you know what what you what you got to tell those kids is, hey, we've got the skills, we've got the game to get to this NCAA. We had a bad Big Twelve. Uh, you know, we had a bad conference. Let's not let this hangover stay on. Let's let's play the kind of golf we're capable of playing. I would just try to build their confidence. I would just say, hey, you know. We're a better team than that. Let's go prove it. And, and that's what needs to happen. And, and it like, I just think it's kind of amusing that T-Dub just doesn't like Texas that much. No think, one does. Know, just, <laughs> <laughs> that's who likes Texas, Woody? Come yeah, on. Yeah, poo poo Texas. But that's, I think it would be great if Texas didn't make it and Kansas State did. How about that? I would love that too, Woody. Uh, the last region we got to get to here is the San Jose State Regional, um, you got Pepperdine, who still has William Mao and Derek Hitchner. They don't have Dylan Minetti anymore, but they have still played some really solid golf, especially this spring. Uh, and obviously, they're the number one seed in this region. You got Florida State, Mississippi State, Arizona, Louisville. You got Mike McGraw's Baylor Bears right there in the sixth seed. You got Missouri who has had some decent teams in the past. You got BYU, who won the West Coast Conference. Um, this is one of those regions, T-Dub, or the region where I have no feel for how this is going to go. I know that Pepperdine's going to get through. I know that Florida State's going to get through. But to be honest, I know nothing about Mississippi State, Arizona, or Louisville. And then, as far as Baylor goes, this is not one of Mike McGraw's better Baylor teams. Well, very similar with OSU. I feel like our, our man Mike McGraw down at Baylor got a pretty good draw in all aspects. I mean, uh, Pe- Pepperdine is the number one seed, but according to Golf Week, they're the 11th 
ranked team. Florida State's the number two seed, and they're ranked six. So it kind of levels out a little bit. And those, those top four teams, Sam, uh, including Mississippi State and Arizona, are, are inside the top 20. So they're, they're fairly formidable teams. Louisville's down, in, I believe, 33rd ranked, and Baylor is 31. So, I mean, this is looking pretty good for, for our man, Mike McGraw, Woody, where he can potentially go in and, and make a little bit of a push because not only do you not have a San Jose State to come up and steal one of the seats, but you really don't have a clear alpha in, in the group. I know Pepperdine has a lot of success over the past, and that they'll be in Florida State will definitely more than likely make their way through. But uh, definitely you don't have a Vanderbilt or, or North Carolina in this team. So uh, for Baylor, Mike McGraw, hopefully they'll make it through. And uh, it's set up pretty prime for him to do so, in all honesty. This is where I'm kind of bad when it comes to this college golf. What do I worry about? I worry about our buddies. I, I want Mike to get there. I want, uh, you know, Allen to get there from OSU. I want Hibble to get there from OU. The rest of these guys, yeah, I don't have a dog in the fight, so I don't really care. I do think that this San Jose regional is going to be one where you're going to see a mid-major underdog make it through. You got BYU who won the West Coast Conference. You got Charlotte who won the Conference USA. You got Grand Canyon who won the WAC. And you have Northern Colorado who won the Big Sky. So you got four conference champions in this region. They're just all mid-major teams, T-Dub. I I do think that you're going to see an underdog make it through in this one because I think Pepperdine, like I said, is going to get in. Florida State's going to get in. And then Mississippi State doesn't scare you. Arizona doesn't scare you like Arizona teams have in the past. Um, Man, I think that one of these smaller schools has a legitimate chance to get into the national championship out of this region. If there was any regional that it was going to happen, then it, it would be this one. I think you're probably right. Oh, it doesn't knock out someone like Mike McGraw and Baylor, but uh, there is a chance of it to happen. And then, I mean, you got likes of Cal down there in, in NC State, so they could definitely make some runs as well. One thing I find pretty funny is that uh, the top two region or the top two individual seeds in this region are both from Fresno State, Woody. And, and so at that point, you got to think that those two players are a little pissed off saying, hey, coach, can we get a few more better players? We might have a pretty solid team here. I'm not sure they should say that to their coach. <laughs> that's why the that's, uh, that's why the portal is there. So if they get frustrated with their coach, they just go somewhere else. Uh, yeah, but you know what's cool about these regionals? Even though I said you know I care about just guys we know, I, I, it's still a great opportunity for a team like you say, an underdog to sneak in there and get to go to an NCAA, which they might not have ever been to. Big, big time deal for those schools like those that are not the favorites, but just to get there. It's kind of like my Carl Albert boys when I first started working with them. Our only goal was just to get the state. We weren't trying to win state. If we could just get the state, it would be special. In the last two years, they both uh, both years, these guys, these young men have gone out and worked at it and qualified. So it's a big deal. And I, I love those Cinderella stories. They're probably not going to pull it off like they do in other sports. The golf is just so dominated by these really good schools so but it is a great story so we'll see how it works out there yeah no doubt I mean in college I had some really solid teams ranked in the top 50 in the country at UMKC and we never made a national championship even though we won three conference championships I mean guys it's just hard to finish in the top five against some of these schools but you do see teams do it 
from time to time. Another thing that I do want to make clear about how the NCAA tournament works, this is regionals are technically the start of the NCAA tournament than the national championship. It's different in golf, but if you imagine a basketball bracket, this would be the start of the bracket being at regionals and then the national championship cut down to 30 teams. And the other thing, guys, is... If your team does not make it, you can still make it as an individual, just like at the conference championships. If your team does not win your conference championship and you're a smaller in a mid-major conference, but you win the, the conference championship individually, you get into regional. Same thing for the national championship. If your team, let's say that Baylor has a guy that goes out there and wins individually and Baylor does not finish in the top five of their region that guy will get into the national championship individually it's not just the individuals competing against each other for you know these regionals right we have a bunch of individuals that we we listed on the radio show that are in each of these regions they're still competing individually with the guys that are on a team that are in these regionals if that makes any sense t-dub i know that's a mouthful i think you did a pretty good explanation on that it, it pretty much anyone needs to know that if one of these teams like let's say just for example texas a&m and sam bennett if the, if the rest of a&m goes out and plays horrible and they somehow don't make a regional sam bennett's still going to be a greyhawk in the national championship assuming that he plays well well enough to get there and so one thing i'm interested about too we went through the, the regionals to talk about the different individuals and stuff some regionals have 10 individuals in them and some of them have five so i mean i'm not sure exactly how that works out it kind of makes things a little complicated to know exactly who all you have to make it through and all that. So a little bit convoluted, but at the same time, I, I think at the bottom, at the end of the day, all you need to know is if you play good golf, you're probably going to move on, and uh, well, that should be the goal for all these players. For well, sure. in the regionals that only have five individuals, there's an extra team, right? There, there's some regions with 14 teams and some regions with 13 teams. No, it's just it's just a numbers game at that point. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know why we couldn't have just did all the regionals the exact same. I feel like that probably would have been the most the easiest thing to do. But uh, this is how they decided to do. Another dumbass decision by the NCAA, Woody. I am not shocked one bit. I'm not sure who you despise more, the NCAA or Texas. It's got to be close, though. Yeah, but it's very right. close. It's very close. And that's where this common sense thing. And I don't know. Sometimes people just don't want to use common sense. So. It is what it is, and pretty soon we'll know who we got going to NCAA's. That's what matters to me. Or we got we know who's going to the uh, the big tournament in Greyhawk. All right, fellas, I got to ask before these regionals start. T Dub, I'll ask you first. Who do you have winning the national championship as a team? Man, I, I, I was with you, Sam. I had North Carolina to start the year, but pretty interesting is that we thought they had such a big three going on. David Ford is the fourth-ranked player, according to Golf Week, but Austin Greaser is all the way down at 29th, and Ryan Bennett is 32nd, and uh, Dylan Minetti is down at 44th. So, I mean, they've kind of lost a little bit a little bit of their stuff as well. I mean, I think Vanderbilt's probably got to be the favorite on paper right now, but, uh, you know, there's just something about it to where I, I'm not going to change my pick. I'm still going to ride with North Carolina. I got to feel like the talent will come through when it matters the most. So give me uh, give me the Tar Heels still, Woody. I'm not going to change my pick quite yet. I'm going with OU, and I know that's going out on a limb, but I'd rather pull for somebody I really want to win than just be a, able to pick a winner. Hey, Woody kind of stole my thunder right there, T-Dub. I was going to pick the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm going to switch from North Carolina. 
they are peaking at the right time, and they have not only five guys playing consistent golf, they have six or seven guys playing consistent golf. And yeah, I do think that Vanderbilt is the best team in the country. Yes, I think that North Carolina has three great players, but they don't have the four and five bags that they need to win in match play. And then you get to teams like Texas Tech, who we just saw get beat by this very Oklahoma team at Prairie Dunes in the Big 12 Championship. I am going with the Oklahoma Sooners to win the national championship this year after coming from nowhere at the start of the fall. Guys, I mean, remember, they lost Logan McAllister and Chris Goddard, and this team does not rebuild. They reload. And, fellas, I've been just very impressed over the last month or so with the golf that Oklahoma has played and the consistency that Oklahoma has played with that I was going to pick Oklahoma, even though Woody just stole my thunder right from under my feet. Well, I tell you what, Sam, after your, your back-to-back TG picks, I mean, the OU fans got to be clamoring for joy right now. I mean, they've got to be all over. But the problem is, is that we have a law of averages because Woody picked OU, so it's the – which immovable force is going to move first? And I did not know the answer to that question. <laughs> That's right. Hey, that, that was nasty. That that was really nasty. <laughs> <laughs> no, Woody, no. you talk so bad about your picks all the time. It's not like I'm the only one saying it. Well, yeah, but you don't have to come right out and say it. That. That, no, that's fine. I'm a big boy. I got my big girl pants on, so I can I can take your hits. Uh, no, man, you got to go with OU. You just got to. I, I I just like Hibble. I like what he does, and I didn't mean to steal Sam's thunder, but uh, why shouldn't I ride Sam's coattails? I'm just like everybody else. I'm going with the winner. Well, fellas, I'll tell you I, what. I hope y'all are right. I, I hope y'all are right. That, that's the number one thing. Fellas, I've cooled off quite a bit uh you know last week I picked Keegan Bradley who finished tied for 35th at three under not a terrible finish for Keegan Bradley but not a good one by any means for the one and done contest uh how'd your picks go for the one and done last week T-Dub they were absolutely atrocious the Heathy Gala goes down shoots four under in the first round I'm thinking okay well we got something going on Finishes, I think, 57th out of 60, how many ever made the cut. So, I mean, I, I made fun of Woody's picks for being bad, but mine, with the exception of two tournaments, have not been worth a shit either. <laughs> well, there you go. See, uh, Mike Cantley beat all of you guys. He didn't win the golf tournament, but but Cantley had a pretty solid week with Joe Clava on the back. So, I'm not sure exactly what he finished. He finished tied really for pay. 21st at six under. Yeah, and, and he had it going kind of early like what a few of them did, but then – my picks are kind of like Xander Shopley. They might come out hot, but they tank on the back nine. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end the show today, fellas. We got a whole lot of content coming up later on in the week. Starting on Wednesday, we will be up in Tulsa or in Broken Arrow at Cedar Ridge for Live Tulsa. We'll give you our schedule here. At 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning, we will be in the press conference with Taylor Gooch, Peter Uline, and Charles Howell III. And then on Thursday, and I'm sure we'll do many, many other things on Wednesday, but we've never covered a live event, so we really don't know what to expect. And then I do know on Thursday we will be in a press conference with uh, Brooks Kepka and Matthew Wolf and Chase Kepka and, and the whole team smash. So, fellas, I mean, I don't really know what to expect. What are you looking forward to most about this week coming up at Cedar Ridge? 
Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think just, as you mentioned, too, none of us have covered a live event. It's a fairly new thing to the ecosystem of golf. So I'm just interested to see how everything is laid out and how we got pretty lucky the PJ Championship being last year. We kind of compare and contrast the, the two and see it from there. And then I'm also just interested to see how, how the crowds are. Is Tulsa going to come out in, in droves and, and pack that place? I think that is going to be the case. This is going to be quite like the Australia tournament. Probably not. But I do expect that Tulsa to come out and want to watch some good golf, Woody, because uh, there's too many world-class players for you to, to uh, let your politics get in the way of coming and watch some of this golf. That's the thing people need to remember. They just got to go watch it. Just see what it is. If you don't like it, then fine. Then you can say. But if you ever go see it, if you, if you just say it's no good and you've never been to one, you know, that's not right. At least check it out. So, you know what I'm really hoping for this guy this week? Good weather. Um, you know, May in Oklahoma, who knows what we could get. But let's hope we get some good weather and uh, good conditions for these guys to go out and and show their stuff. So it, I think it'll be a fun week. I'm looking forward to it. Guys, that is one thing that I'm a little worried about as far as the attendance for the live event this week is that there is rain in the forecast every single day. Plus, you add in the fact that it's Mother's Day weekend. Some people are hanging out, especially on Sunday, with their moms. Um, so I, I hope that that doesn't necessarily affect the attendance for the event. But I'm looking at the weather right now. Guys, there's highs in the 80s every single day of the event. Starting on Wednesday, there's a 60% chance of rain. Thursday, 40% chance of rain. And uh, I heard from people up there at Taylor Gooch's foundation event that today the golf course is already soaking wet and it's only going to continue to rain throughout the week. I think there's a good chance that they might play it up up at Cedar Ridge, but starting on Friday for the golf tournament, you got 60% chance of thunderstorms, high of 88 on Friday, could have some wind on Friday as well. On Saturday, guys, you got a 70% chance of thunderstorms, high in the 80s, and Sunday, same thing, 70% chance of thunderstorms, high of 78. So hopefully the weather kind of holds off and hopefully you know at least they could maybe start the tee times a little earlier like they did in Singapore and get these rounds in but this time of year in Oklahoma the weather is very dicey T-Dub. 100% is and it looks like it's going to be even dicey kind of this weekend and with the one thing about the course is that yeah it's going to soften the greens up a decent amount so you think that especially the playing live clean in place these guys would be able to throw some darts but if that rough's gnarly where it's wet because you're not going to play live clean in place in the rough so it, it's going to be pretty nasty to get out of that and the course is going to play pretty long too so I'm going to if the conditions stay how they're going to from what it looks like I'm really going to look at good drivers of the golf ball to excel at, at this course because you're going to have to put it long down there in the fairway and you're going to put it in play if the conditions hold up because that rough is going to be very intense so but no, they could definitely change the tee times, as you mentioned, Sam. I honestly would probably expect them to do that at this point, just unless the forecast just completely changes. But no, they still have, at least in my knowledge, they haven't announced exactly what the tee times will be for Friday yet. I'm sure that'll come in the next few days. But uh, but I think overall it's going to be a great experience, even though might need a poncho. I guarantee you one thing, Sam. It's probably not going to rain as hard here as it did at Augusta when you were there. That's not possible. <laughs> that was the most miserable I've ever been on a <laughs> golf course. I I mean, I've talked many times about it. I wanted to leave Augusta National. That's how bad the weather was. The most beautiful place on earth was not beautiful that day. Uh, Fellas, great show today. We will be back, like I said, on Wednesday with another podcast recapping our day of interviews at Live Tulsa. 
full access this week. You're not going to want to miss any of our content coming straight from Cedar Ridge. The tournament is Friday through Sunday, May 12th through the 14th up at Cedar Ridge. I'm really excited for it, but we just wanted to hit you with a little bit of a a recap from the Wells Fargo today and then talk a little bit of college golf leading into Live Tulsa coming up later this week. If you have not already subscribed to the 73rd Hole podcast, definitely go do so. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification when we drop these great episodes later on in the week. For Jim Woodward and Taylor Williams. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.